Nehemiah chapter 13. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by the commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributors for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan, the son of Zakur, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in heaps of grain, and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians, who also lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah, in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates, that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married some women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. 
Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus, I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here. Good morning at uh, Christ Central Church. And um, one of the reasons you have a lot of those um, confessions and um, declarations uh, dealing with justice and unity is because it's Black History Month this month, and I want to bring that to your attention. And um, it is a time um, that we can praise God for, that at one time in this country, African Americans were treated like animals, like property. And after being treated like property, like less than human, less deserving of dignity and worth than people of our lighter skin hue. And uh, so I want us to consider that as something that would not have changed if God didn't change it. It's a celebration of what God has done when we celebrate these things. So there's not a reason for us to feel like, hey, why we got Black History Month? You know, what's that mean? What it means is that God did something amazing in this country. How a human being can go from being thought of as an animal to holding office in the highest office in this country is God's work. Through his church, if it weren't for great evangelical biblical preaching... Wouldn't have happened. Irony of ironies, ain't it sometimes? God's good. This is also a busy month in the life of Christ Central Church, so I want you to remember that this is a busy month. If you think, man, they show God is doing a lot, what's wrong with these people? What's wrong with you, right? You believe Jesus is coming back for the church, right? So it's kind of important, right? Sort of. Hasten, Lord, please come back for us, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hasten, Lord. Just give us some time this month, just one month. Then you can go back to your regular life, okay? Um, Your regular scheduled life. Um, And um, they're going to be taking, there's some, where's Randy? She's going to take some pictures up here. Please don't be distracted. They're taking pictures because GQ is doing an article on the handsomest pastors in the, the, um, and so they need some shots of of me. Uh, It's part of the evangelism we're doing at Christ Central. We figure we could... Just kidding. She's taking it for something. Um, So anyway, we're going to actually conclude our sermon series and Ezra and Nehemiah, this being the last chapter in Nehemiah. Let me tell you, it's been kind of life-changing for me. I enter a book, having read it before, having gone through it in seminary before, and I think, okay, 
just another book. We're going to get through it, learn some things. But it is surprising how God uses the Word. And I know better. I know He uses the Word to change us. And when you preach it, you go through it as a people, wow, it really works. He does change it. It's in, right, it's in the right season. It makes sense. It fits in our lives. And God actually uses it. So I praise God for this time in this sermon series and look forward to what he's going to do next with us. And um, I hope it's been good for your soul as, as much as it's been for mine. But last week, we got some awesome instruction and inspiration from God's word on how and why we worship. And when we looked at the big worship service celebration from last week in chapter 12, that at the completion of the wall around Jerusalem, well, if you didn't know or realize this, you need to know that our relationship with God is a journey forward, but through ups and downs. Last week wasn't up, right? It was a highlight of Israel's history. Well, this week, this chapter, we see God's people falling down and falling away from God. Well, the good thing about being God's people, regardless of of whether it is a high point or a low point in your faith journey, is that God, the same God that started you on and started with you on your journey, is still there, is still the same. With what I would describe as we see here in this passage that we read this morning, as a with a maddening mercy and gripping grace for people like you and me. His people, who need in their ups, but especially downs, the maddening mercy and gripping grace of God's direction, his correction, and his collection. All right, I I just lost it now with all these shuns, but it's to help you remember and help me remember, right? I'm not trying to be cute up here. I'm just trying to be instructive, right? It's his direction, correction, and collection. So we left God's people last week in chapter 12, and people were still happy to be God's. And they were expressing their happy and joyous relationship about God and what he had done. And and this happiness and committed celebration continues into the beginning verses of chapter 13 as they receive God's direction for their new lives. Look with me at verses 1 through four. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with, with bread and war, water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now, understand this was immediately following the dedication of the wall, after the building of the temple, after the reinstitution of the priesthood, after the return of the people to Israel. This was a high point in their post-exilic history. And at the reading of the Bible, they were responding obediently to and living in the directions of new life, the new life God had called them to. So immediately we see them hear the word of God, and, and they say, no Ammonite or no, no, no other foreign person should be among you. And the Bible says they immediately, they, they, they moved away from those folk in obedience and enjoy to have this new life. 
And by God's grace, God's people back then were, were given, as we saw through Ezra and Nehemiah and through the, the Old Testament books, they were given uh, by God directions about the temple practices, the priest of the temple, the wall of separation, the exercise of the Sabbath day, and their, their being separate and identity and lifestyle and, and reason from the world that did not worship him. And these things were called for by God so that his people would and would know how to experience and live out and enjoy, that is, as they are obedient to it, enjoy their new redeemed life in this world. And the law and the gospels, this Bible we have here, a lot of us have one somewhere, morning, Harrison was like, Daddy, I can't find my Bible. It's where you left it the last time you're reading it. That was not nice to say to him, wasn't it? And it but in it are, are the law and the gospel. It's, just a, it's the Word of God that, that you and I are blessed enough to have in its entirety today. It's God calling us and, and showing us how to enjoy and be glad and to flourish in the new life of salvation of being God's holy people. But there is even more good news in this, because God's directions are, are not just a calling uh, to new life. They are a catalog to enjoy new life. Some of you might be old enough, like me, to remember the joy of the catalog at Christmas time. Y'all remember those things, those big, thick catalogs? You'd go to the department store, and they would come in the mall. Man, they had the Sears. That was great. Okay, we had this store called Friedman's. Okay, the jewelry store that sold everything else. J.C. Penney and even the Toys R Us catalog. Man, those catalogs would be worn out, if you're like me, by the time the week of Christmas had rolled around because it, it was not only what you could see in the store because in those catalogs, they would sure show so much more than what you could see in the store. In the back of the Sears catalog, what did y'all see? Okay, come on. What was in the back of those Sears catalogs? The go-karts. The go-karts. Y'all don't remember those? In the little dirt bike things. I'm like, Sears has vehicles for kids. This is great. And you would look at it, and I would just sit, and I would dream and stare at it and envision myself riding in that go-kart. And they had the two-seater one, right? So I'd think of some girl I like riding in the... Come on, y'all. Dreaming. And even, I would circle that thing and, and show Daddy what, what he alone had the ability to, could, and should get for me. I mean, it was worn out. And I was a, 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 you know, I, I was a believer at a younger age, so I even carried that thing around like some of you do your prayer journals right on top of my Bible. So on my shelf, on my nightstand, was the catalog, the Sears catalog, and my Bible, right? I would do my prayer time with the Bible open and the catalog open right beside it. Lord, please, Jesus, I want this. <laughs> do you not realize that the Word of God, the directions of God are the catalog 
They're the character, it is the character profile inventory guide, the web page of, of all the stuff necessary to enjoy new life with him. And our Bibles, like the catalogs, should be worn out with learning and studying and going deep and imagining and growing in and how, and how to access and recognize God's new life blessings and gifts for you and all that is in store for you and your family and your friends and your neighbors and this world as his people. And for Israel back then and us believers today, their faith and relationship had so many new features. Like a new fancy car, right? Like a German or Italian luxury vehicle. For me, just a new car. You know, I usually buy older cars, you know, or used cars. And man, when I have to rent a car, I'm lost in that thing. You ever rented a car and you get the new, new, newest fangled thing? And they gave me this key, right? It didn't have no key on it. They're like, here's the key to the vehicle. I'm like, this the key? Where's the key, right? He's like, just go in the car and be close enough and, and push the start button. What? Really? No, that, that don't work no more. They don't like that. They break cars like that. Just put it in there, in your pocket, something like that, and just push the button. My Lord, Really? And you sit in there, and I'm just punching all the buttons. At first, I'm lost. But then by the time my trip is over, I am enjoying my new ride with the key without the key, right? I am loving this thing. And climate control, the bass on the speakers is right. You can plug your iPod right in that thing. You're booming and powering down the road. I love those newer cars. And then you get back to yours. Fumbling and bumbling with the, with the keys, trying to get it in. Now, I have a new, now, you know, I went from an 89 to a 2003. And so my, I, my car actually unlocks with the key fob. But I'm not used to it. So when I start the car, my thumb hits the fob at the same time. So it's, and sometimes I set the alarm off. You know, God has given us a new life with features for our good to make our journey and ride through life loving and enjoyable and peaceful, not trouble-free or problem-free. Free, the road is still bumpy and we are still terrible drivers, but traveling in God's covenant is merciful and gracious. It's, it's divine luxury for human beings, offering comfort and power, sound like a car commercial, and strength and safety and security features that will never leave or forsake you and me or break down. It is efficient and, inter and has an internal warmth warranty that's freely offered. That's what the scripture's about. That's what the directions of new life are about. But we want to ride in the old way. We want to fumble. We want to lock ourselves outside of our car, right? We want to lock ourselves outside of God's blessing. And he's given us in the scripture a way where you cannot be locked out of his blessings anymore. The temple, the priesthood, 
the religious practices that we see in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, you know, the being separate in certain ways from foreign people around them, like not intermarrying that, that we see being dealt with in this chapter that we were just read about and given clear directions for by God throughout the Bible, were all put in place as divine features of the mercy and grace luxuries of God's love and joy over his people. Do you and have we forgotten? It is so easy to that the commandments and all stipulations, the illuminations, the religious institutions, and lessons of the Bible and the gospel are mercy and grace to us. Not a noose, not a strict, sickening, painful rules. You know what? This Bible only feels that way, like God's people here when we stop embracing the grace and mercy of God's direction and become a people who then need the grace and mercy of God's correction. This is a scary thing right here, this belt. It ain't scary, just holding up my pants. But for my boys, it's scary if they disobey, right? It's amazing. I remember growing up, my dad having them belts on the back of the door. And when he would open, that was the 70s when they had the double buckle thing. You know, with a two. He had a white one, a red one, a black one. That belt was like this thick too, right? Because the belt loops, they weren't all cool and cute. You didn't have the low rider things. You had a belt to hold. You had to hold up your pants. No one was dripping and drooping. He would open that door. You would just say, you'd hit him belts, hitting the lever, hitting against the door. And that was a good sound because it meant daddy was home. You know, if he went to choir rehearsal or something, yeah, all right, daddy home. But if I was in the wrong and I needed correction, the sound of that door was scary. Clink, 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 that meant something was coming off the door and coming on my behind. I'm sorry, y'all. I grew up and I got spankings. If that offends you, too bad. Get over it. Get over it. I got my behind cut. I had whippings. I got beatings, okay? That's what we called them. Wasn't no spanking, was a beating. It was a correction. So I could go in the right direction, right? So this passage tells us that the 12 years had passed since the joyful highlight of completing the wall and hearing the law read with joy. And the Bible tells that Nehemiah, now back at work with the king all that time, probably had gotten word from Jerusalem, promptly returned to Israel to find that God's people had lost their way. They were acting and behaving directionless, right? Can't say that word. Abandoning much of the joy of the new life God had called them to and gifted them with. And let me tell you what was happening. Let's review what was happening, because we already read it. Elishiab, I guess that's his name, one of the priests emptied out the storehouse of the Lord at the temple, okay? Having thrown out the tithes and gifts of God that, that, that God's people had given to the temple to give Tobiah a luxury guest home suite inside the walls of Jerusalem and inside the temple area. Yeah, that's right, Tobiah. Not only a foreigner up in God's house, and that was all wrong, holy place, right? But the same dude that taunted them and threatened to harm them when they built the wall. 
And not only did Nehemiah have to deal with that, but the Bible tells us that God's people started skimping on their giving to the temple, that's the church, and its ministry. So, so much so that the priests had to go back home to the farm so they could eat and live, leaving the ministry of the church slack and wanting. And if that weren't enough, God's people were working steady through the week, every day, even the Sabbath day, on which they were to stop work and make the day holy, but they forgot. And they were doing business inside and outside the gates, you know, with all kinds of people. The working class were doing overtime. You know, when you're on a, low, on a totem pole and your boss say you got to work on Sunday and you say, I ain't working on Sunday, trust me, they can find somebody else to work on Sunday, Right? So the working class was working overtime. They could never get off out there carrying and delivering stuff and and, and smashing grapes for wine. And then the Bible tells us that over the last 12 years, they had so intermarried with foreigners. And one priest even married the daughter of Sanballat, right? Remember Sanballat a few chapters ago? He was the worst. He wanted to kill the Israelites for building the wall. The hate of Israel while they're building the wall, right? One of the priests married his daughter. And on top of all that mess, Nehemiah found a generation that was on the verge of completely losing their God-given holy and blessed identity. They were so intermarried, which was wrong. With the people around them, they had abandoned their Hebrew, the language of Scripture, how, how can I say it? They lost their prayer language and their heritage. They wouldn't be able to hear or understand the word of God. And seeing God as their father was quickly slipping. They had become the sold-out Yiddish version of Uncle Tom's. So the Bible tells us that Nehemiah went into the grace and mercy correction mode. That's straight correct, right? He went straight correct on them. The Bible tells us, as we read earlier, that Nehemiah went into the storehouse, now Tobiah's summer home, right? And he evicts Tobiah, takes Tobiah's stuff, his furniture, and throws it into the street, right? And then Nehemiah does a harsh audit. The Bible uses court language here. He basically does a lawsuit on the people for not caring for the temple. Then the Bible says that he stops all work on the Sabbath, has the doors closed to the city at sundown the day before the Sabbath so folk couldn't come in and out and shop. Yeah, the mall was closed on Sunday. And then when the merchants tried to set up outside the wall, you know how like South Carolina does with their cheap gas and lottery tickets on the state line down at Fort Mill. Y'all know about that. Crossing the border, maybe to get some cheaper liquor or something, right? So it's right there that, that, he, that he went out and put a hit on them. The folk right on the wall saying, look, if, you, if we see you around here, we're going to take you out. The Bible says he promised to lay hands on them. I love biblical language. Could you imagine saying that to somebody? If you keep doing this, I'm going to have to lay hands on you. Well, when the pastor says that it means something different. I'm going to lay hands on you. You're going to get slain, but you're going to be hurt. Okay, still don't work. Okay, so, but, and, and then the craziest thing, not only does he, he run a priest out of town, this is the craziest thing, for marrying that woman he should, I can see Tobiah, I can see Nehemiah running in the street saying, get out of here, don't even come back, throwing rocks at him like you do a dog you don't want around, you know what I'm saying, or a stick, that didn't sound humane, but, um, but it says this, but the people who let and led their kids to intermarry and lose the language, that Nehemiah beat some of them up. He rushed them up, and so much so, the Bible says he pulled their hair out their head. That's some good church discipline. 
I'll never forget. I, I think I told you all this story before. I'm going to tell it again. When we were kids, we had a little clubhouse, and we had our little collection. I think we had like 25 cents worth of pennies in our clubhouse in the woods. And so Betsy White, lady girl down the street, her house was near that little, aunt, little area near the woods. She went and she took our 25 cents. So my friend John and Eric, my two very blonde, blue hair, blue-eyed, German, Swiss, Bavarian friends, went up to Miss White, a very southern white woman, and said, hey, look, your daughter took our money. You are responsible, and you need to give it back. So Miss White, she gave him the money. By the time they got back home, Miss White had been on the phone with their mama. They got in that hallway. Their mom was like, did y'all ask Miss White to give the money back to y'all that her daughter took? She, they were like, yes, she shouldn't have let her daughter take it. She was like, Howard, could you just stand at the door? And she... <laughs> so my very Swiss, Bavarian, blonde-haired Aryan brothers had a very Swiss, Bavarian, German, tall mama. Man... I thought only people who were descendants of slaves got beatings, right? <laughs> right, I thought it just carried on through history, right? If you were a descendant of slave, your mom and daddy beat you, right? But the white people got away with it. I was wrong. The Bavarian people beat their kids too, right? So I was, I, I was looking in the window. Y'all, I was so happy. <laughs> As a black man, I felt redeemed, like... I can't believe my white friends get beaten. I just had this perception, you know, the way they did supper and lunch and just the mama stayed home in a day, the dog living in the house. It was just cut very different for me. And man, I looked in that window and I just saw blonde hair and eyes. Bow! She was whacking them in the face. They were, in the hallway was little. They couldn't get away. She was grabbing them by the hair. And then when she stopped, there was just little furs of blonde hair falling through the sky. They came outside with their faces all red. I'm like, what happened, y'all? I was laughing because I know what happened. I saw it through that little window on the side. And they're like, my mama said we got to give the money back. Nehemiah beat some folk up, and the hair was rolling in the wind that day. No, I know it had been some years for Nehemiah, and he might have just been a grumpy old man who didn't have patience left. But what Nehemiah was coming with was a maddening mercy and literally a gripping grace for people who had gone mad and lost their grip on God's goodness. And God, through Nehemiah, hands-on reform wasn't going to have it. I remember my brother, <laughs> we still laugh about it today. You know, we had these homes in Belmont, and, you know, they were built in the 1920s, and so you have to put your own, you know, electricity is updated now, and they got all kind of stuff for new homes that our homes didn't have. And uh, so being a brown man, brown, not color, I know, last name. Okay, y'all got it? Okay. Because y'all, it's racial, man, it's racial. I got to clear it up. So, um, so... <laughs> So be a brown man, we like to fix things, but we don't like to read directions. We look at it from the outside. It don't look that hard. And in the world, it's just too expensive to call an electrician when you can do something so easy. 
You know, dealing with 220, not that big deal. You touch it, you die. No, no big deal. We're going to live. We're lucky. So my brother's behind the, the washing machine working on things, and all of a sudden, this electricity, boom, pow, this art came up, right? And I'm your pastor. I'm a man of the cloth. But boy, the words that came out of my mouth. It was like, pow, 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 pow. And I'm like, blankety, blank, 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 you fool. Why did I cuss? Why was I so upset? There's this mad look on my face. And his wife, he had just talked about it. We just rolled and laughed because of the way the word so easily came out of my mouth. And here I am trying to be a good Christian, but I was being a better brother that day. Because I saw that man, I'm thinking one arc across his heart, and he'd have been gone. You know, sometimes the, 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 the idea of correction creates a, a righteous anger, right? I, I knew that that could have killed my brother whom I loved. And I was like, you can't do it no more. Leave it alone, fool. That use the word fool, use some other words. <laughs> Nehemiah's madness was indicative of God's correction, corrective, disciplining love and concern for the heart of his people who would surely lose their new life and who would kill, would experience death in the new life that God had promised they would have as a people. You know what the cause of heart disease? Behaviors that bring foreign substances into relationship with your heart's work, right? Like smoking and then eating high-saturated fats that can lead to cholesterol, high blood pressure, blockage that causes the heart to work harder than it should, or heart malformation, certain heart and body birth defects, or, or non-behavior-based issues, bad heredity and chemical makeup that make it hard to break down fats and cholesterol. God's correction is designed to not only cleanse our hearts of dangerous behaviors in the relationship with God, destroying byproducts like sinning and hearing a false gospel, but also to change the malformations of our human hearts that are already entering the game of life, filled with the original sin defects, passed on family issues of neglect and heartache, all of which puts high pressure, breaking pressure on your, my relationship with God and each other, parts of the body, each other that is. And so God is radical in his holiness to stop our hearts and then our lives destroyed, being destroyed by sin. In our men's morning learning community on Broken Down House, Paul Tripp, the author, talks about sin being transgression and iniquity. Transgression is the actual crossing the line. It's doing what you shouldn't. And, that, and iniquity is the condition and conditioning of the heart that make it comfortable for us to do what we shouldn't. That's why I think it is important to look back at the passage about kicking Tobiah out. Let's look at verse 1, through two, one and 2 first. It says, on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that, that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into blessing. Tobiah, living in the storehouse, was a curse to God's people, no matter how nice he came across. 
And somehow they furnished, get this now, they furnished a place for him to get up into their faith, to live up in there so that it was easy for him to find home where he shouldn't. And then from that place to make them subtly stop loving, trusting, and living a new life. The Bible says in verse 8 that he threw out the furniture first. He got rid of iniquity. He got rid of places that made Tobiah the curse comfortable so that it would not have foothold or stronghold or rather stranglehold on God's people. And then he immediately, immediately what? Cleansed the place and put the right stuff back in so that it could no longer be used to do the wrong thing. The mercy and grace of God's correction is that when we see and confess our sin, that God comes in. He uses all the means of his appointment, all his ministry like he did Nehemiah to get what is cursing and crushing us and not blessing us, but cursing us out of our lives and heart. He wants to evict sin, sinfulness, right? He wants to evict heart disease, right? By helping us see it, confess it, and then he begins to recondition our hearts over time. He refurnishes and changes the very damage we've brought in to make sin comfortable and harmful to us. The power of confession and repentance is that God is powerful to come in and kick sin and its cursing motivation and desires out. And that is our prayer. Lord, not only kick sin out, And the desire to not do right, the desire to forsake the beautiful and joyful and awesome new life you've given us. But Lord, please change, refurnish all that makes me want to sin, whether it is a certain relationship or a certain emptiness or loneliness, a certain lifestyle, a a certain addiction, right? A certain damage or history of abuse or whatever it is that has taken up rule in our hearts and made it impossible to not sin in a certain way or forfeit joy or what makes it comfortable to curse the blessings of God. God is correcting it by evicting it and changing us. And yes, here's what's hard to hear. He does so by sometimes having us experience pain. Yeah? Having us get beat up and plucked and beat around by the consequences and circumstances of our disobedience. Sometimes God makes it hard and impossible to do what you shouldn't. Putting guards on your life like Nehemiah did around the temple when they tried to break the Sabbath. Sometimes closing the door right at sundown, right? God puts guards on your life, people in right places to stop the way, an accountability person we like to call them. Or for some of you guys, you know, that pretty girl at the video store counter. Why didn't the ugly girl work today? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, some of y'all do. But why couldn't that guy work the game? Why would why, why, why it have to be the pretty girl? Now I can't get the movie I want or the magazine I want. What's going on today? Let me go down to the next video. So, oh, man, pretty, it's this pretty girl day. It's Mother Day at the video store, right? Or the history bar on your computer that your wife said not to erase. Mm-hmm. 
or running out of money to do what you shouldn't. The sun went down too early, right? Can't gossip because your phone died. Or that person stopped you embarrassingly before you got to the juicy, right? Right when you're about to, let me tell you what happened now. And uh, boop, boop, something go wrong. The bully at school you were ready to fight missed the bus. Thank goodness. The person you were going to bully missed the bus. The teacher you love to hate was nice to you today. He or she on your job that was getting your attention in the wrong way and shouldn't got a transfer right at the right time. You plain out got caught by someone who loved you and would kick you behind and cuss you out in a good way, who scares the heck out of you. This room is filled, and some of you recognize it, and some of you don't, but it is filled with circumstances and stories and, and, and heartaches and, and beating up and, and coming in with your hair half done because God plucked it out in some way, right? And this room is filled with circumstances and stories of God's cleansing and protecting, God laying hands on your life and creating good fear in you that kept your hearts and your faith in God alive and moving in the right direction, that God God stepped in and stopped it and stepped in and changed it. But God's correction has the grace of true and real change. So not to hurt or abuse us, but to change our taste, to to change our level of fear of what will kill our lives and hearts, to say no to the impossible, to break desire to sin, to say yes to new life. I got suspended twice from school for talking. I didn't get suspended a third time because I thought I'd play it my daddy the first time. The second time was enough. Our prayer should be, Lord, let the second time be enough. Heck, let the first time be enough. God can do it. He can change you. He is changing you now, those who is. He could step in and really create some hair-plucking mess for you, for your good. But not only is God merciful and gracious in his direction and correction, but finally his collection. He is merciful and gracious to collect the broken pieces of our new but broken life and bring his collection of grace to it. Understand what I mean. When we forget and choose to ignore or despise the new life God has called us to enjoy, fear, condemnation, hopelessness comes in. I mean, we can get so scattered. Our lives can be so out of place, all confusing about whether and how we can start again, feeling broken, feeling dirty, feeling unworthy, feeling unsure, dominated by sin. God comes in and he ministers to us, collecting our lives. It is safe to say that he collects the broken pieces of our lives. He takes it up. He takes it on. He follows through, and he comes to get us and gather us. He takes on and wrestles and fights for our lives. It's easy to miss miss the big picture here. Nehemiah was in the lap of luxury with the king. These people deserved to just, he worked so hard to get them to build a wall and live right and get rid of all the enemies of their heart. These folk deserved to be left there to die in their sin, to be taken over and ruled by Tobiah and Sanballat and the Ammonites. They should have been allowed to, to, to work on Sunday and lose their religion and become burned out, desperate, no Sabbath resting survivalists, behavioristic animals, rats in the race, instead of humans working with dignity and external worth. God could have let their children 
lose their prayer language so that they would have forgotten how to look up and pray to God. He could have left them and lost them, but he sent Nehemiah to take on the impossible, to take on fractured and sold out and enslaved lives like ours sometimes become. Okay. I was thinking about Humpty Dumpty the other day. Yeah, I think deeply sometimes. And I believe that the dark side of the story is that Humpty had too many broken pieces. He was too much to handle. And he was stupid to get up on that wall, probably again. Wasn't the first time Humpty went up there, trust me. Y'all hang with me. I'm corny, but just hang with me. And there were the king and his men thinking, serves his round mound right, right? What egg in his right mind would get up on a wall? They got tired of trying and justified not putting him back together. I mean, they made a fairy tale out of futility and lack of responsibility because the person was too hard to put together again. Some of us believe that is the tale of our lives. But if you are God's, it's a lie. It's not just a fairy tale. Sometimes the truth sounds like the fairy tale, and the fairy tale sounds like the truth. Because you've so damaged your life. You've so let sin in. You're so broken apart. You believe your story is more like Humpty Dumpty than what God says about you in this scripture. How true it is that we have gotten ourselves and have allowed the history of mistakes to make us prime candidates for broken lives that are too far gone and deserving not to be put together. We should be condemned that people should just write us off for how we look at God's goodness and get on the wall in our arrogance against God again and again. But the Bible says that one king's man in Nehemiah, equipped with the grace and mercy of God for his people, could be used powerfully to pull and put his people's lives back together again. Y'all know where this is going. Well, before we get there, I want you to see something else. Look with me at verse 9. Then, after he kicked Tobiah out, then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God and the grain offering and the frankincense. And then after he charges the people for not giving to the ministry of God in the church, it says this in verse 12. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses and I appointed as treasures over the storehouses uh, Shilamiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistant Hanan, the son of Zakor, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, now hear this, remember me, O God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for, for the house of my God and for his service. And then when he deals with the Sabbath day mess, it says this in verse 22. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gate to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. And then after he beat the people up, it says this in verse 29. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated a priesthood, the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. That, that, that's against the priests who did wrong. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign 
And I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember, oh my God, for good. Do you see a pattern? Nehemiah not only collects and gathers the broken pieces, he collects a broken covenant. He collects the stuff of a beautiful covenant, the gift of God's people and God's promise, and he collects all that has been discarded and put out by their disobedience and distrust of God, and he brings it back. He gives it to them, to those who have thrown it away and despised it for their good. He, his actions bring the catalog of new life back to them. God's joy for his people is reopened for business, right? Mercy and grace and the ability to worship, to rest, to be touched by God, to love one another, to live in the identity of God's people was gathered by Nehemiah's work and reinstated and restored and redeemed and given back to them. When we sin, oh my gosh, our world falls apart. And sometimes God is part of scattering it all over the place. But he alone is going to be the one who picks you back up, but not only you, but all the blessings that you forfeited in your sin, all the joy that you've given up, all the pieces that, 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 that have been good for you, that the world has come in and taken over, all the control you've given over to this person and that person, God, his sovereignty comes back and he gives it back to you as a restored and redeemed relationship with him. Our God sent the final Nehemiah, of course. And we sung about haste and Lord. That's the final day when he's going to kick everybody out that shouldn't be there. Not only there, but in here. All the sin will be cleansed. All the furnishings. All the places sin likes to sit. All the places are abuse and struggle and things that people have done against us. All those cursings that we have to live with day after day and, and, and wake up to. All of those furnishings will be kicked out because Jesus is going to come and clean it out for all time's sake. Through his death and resurrection, through the work of his Holy Spirit, he is busy like Nehemiah, giving us God's grace and work. Because of his work, because of his good, all that he has collected as the obedient one and working overtime to give it back to us, he is putting us back together and keeping us in God's grace. Don't let the world lie to you. Don't lie to yourself. This scripture tells us you are not too broken. The relationship with God is not too far gone. Your enemies are not too comfortable for God to kick out. That thing you've been struggling with, oh man, it's been living up in your heart for years. One day, it's going to have to go. And we live in that new life that they only, it's, go, it's already got the eviction notice. When Jesus died and he rose again, everything that would harm us, hurt us, bring us down, make us struggle, curse us, will got their eviction notice 2,000 years ago. And you are free to live in that new life, though your enemies and sin hang outside the gate. Jesus came with maddening mercy. 
gripping grace. Because though not the king's horses and king's men couldn't put us back together, the Bible says that the king himself came down, directed us, corrected us, and collected us. 